Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We'd love to hear what you think the top priorities ought to be at the legislature. UPRAccess at gmail.com. We have an email in from Gene Lown, who says that the number one priority of the legislature must be to pass legislation to implement the Utah Roadmap to address air pollution and climate disaster. And she provides a link to the, uh, from the Gardner Policy Institute, um, the, that roadmap. Um, and uh, so we'd love to hear from you as well. We'll pose these to our legislative leaders, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. So let's uh, begin with uh, just this little bit of uh, snippet from Bill Tibbetts, who is Associate Director of the Crossroads Urban Center. Um, at the end of our conversation, recorded on Friday, I believe, um, he, he uh, asked him if he wanted to say anything else. He talked about how you get involved. Good way to open the program today. Uh, for my producer, it's Bill Tibbetts for. Anything else you'd like to say as we head into the legislative session? You know, I, <laughs> there, there was a, a poll today about the governor's race, and they said that uh, it was amazing because they said that almost half of people in the state didn't know who the lieutenant governor was. I, I think Utah's legislature is incredibly accessible. If you're interested in any issue, you really should go to the state's website, find out who your legislators are, and introduce yourself. They actually like getting calls from constituents. Utah is an easy place to get involved, and you should, because it's, it's actually more fun and interesting than you think. That's Bill Tibbetts from the Crossroads Urban Center, encouraging you to get involved. Here's one way you can get involved and uh, get a comment on to uh, legislative leaders. Comment to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. What should the priorities be? And we'll get those, uh, of course, on to our legislative leaders. Uh, we're still awaiting our first guest here, so let's, uh, let's hear more from uh, Bill Tibbetts. He's the associate director, as I mentioned, from Crossroads Urban Center. And uh, we'll hear what his uh, top uh, concern is, top concern of the Crossroads Urban Center. It's Bill Tibbetts 1. Curious to know at Crossroads Urban Center, what's uh, top of mind for you as you head into the legislature? We are very excited about a housing bill that uh, is being sponsored by Senator Andreg that would uh, produce 2,300 new affordable housing units in the state and also provide rental assistance for about 3,000 uh, households per year. That'll be sponsored in the in the session? Yeah. Yeah, there, it's uh, it's a numbered bill. It came out of the Housing Affordability Commission that was uh, created two sessions ago, and uh, it would be the biggest step toward addressing housing affordability, uh, particularly for really low-income families that are at risk of becoming homeless. It's a big bill. I notice on the website, Ending Child Homelessness Day at the Utah Capitol. Yes. On the, the are, 30th? On the 30th. 10 a.m. We're meeting in the Capitol boardroom, which is in the Capitol itself. So we're right across from where the the House meets, and we uh, have the Mayor of Salt Lake City and Housing Authority directors from Weber and Utah County all coming to talk about how this uh, big bill could help them reduce homelessness in the communities that they serve. Which way is this trending? Uh, the, the people you serve, homelessness and housing instability, it's getting worse, getting better. Unfortunately, we keep seeing uh, the rental prices go up, and there's a direct relationship in terms of the total number of people who experience homelessness between rising rents and, and, uh, and homelessness. People 
if your rent is growing faster than your paycheck, you're at, you're at risk of becoming homeless. And I think uh, right now, I mean, that we're seeing a surge in seniors who uh, their rent has gone up three times and their Social Security check has not, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think, unfortunately, you would expect with how tight the labor market is, with how many, how low the unemployment rate has been for a couple years, that... Um, that we would see homelessness going down, but it hasn't been because rents have been, even with as tight as the labor market is, rents are going up faster than wages for a lot of the people who we serve in our food pantry um, every day. Maybe some other issues. What, uh, or maybe phrase this way: What are the, what are the main worries that people come and, and uh, consume your services? You know, I I think right now. When people come to us, really the biggest worry we have, people have now is is rent. I mean, it really is all about rent. I think uh, with Medicaid expansion, there are more people who are able to get health care they need. But, uh, I mean, it's it's great that that began. We had full expansion begin at the beginning of this month. Um, But, you know, most people are not going to have a medical bill this month. They are going to have to pay rent. And so that's the thing that people are stressed about. So full Medicaid expansion. And one, I'd see some, uh, several things you're going to do at the, on the 30th. One is celebrate full Medicaid expansion. Yes, yes. We have uh, someone from the governor's office coming uh, to, uh, and so, you know, to celebrate with us about the fact that, you know, five years after the governor first proposed expansion, it's, it's finally happened. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, we have finally made it so that if you are poor and you're eligible for food stamps, you can also get help paying for health care, which is, uh, has always been a big gap in our safety net, I think, uh, before that happened. If, you know, there just was a huge... I mean, people in poverty were several times more likely to not have health insurance than everyone else. The low-wage jobs were the least likely to, to have provide insurance. And so I think uh, this is it's a huge step forward. It will make a lot of other things possible. And, uh, you know, if we can get uh, housing that people can afford, more housing that, that people can afford, paired with Medicaid expansion, I, I think... We should be able to finally be able to reduce homelessness in a way that we haven't. Yeah, so that's, I mean, Medicaid expansion, it's a big deal. We're excited that it's happening. I think uh, this housing bill uh, is amazing. I think that there are the number of different groups that are coming together to support it. I mean, you've got Intermountain, you've got, you've got the AARP, you've got the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce. I mean, there are so many people who are realizing that the housing prices don't just hurt families, but they hurt our whole community. And so I, I think um, we're hopeful that it'll pass, but we're, we're not going to take it for granted. And that's why it, it's the focus of our Ending Child Homelessness Day at the Capitol next week. Tibbetts from the Crossroads Urban Center. You heard from him there that housing is, is the, the big uh, item on their agenda. We'll be hearing from, uh, later in the program, Rusty Cannon from Utah Taxpayers Association and from Courtney Bullard from Utah Health Policy Project. Later in the program, uh, some Senate leaders, House leaders right now are very pleased to bring in um, Cache Valley's own Senator Lyle Hilliard. 
Um, also, uh, I guess, uh, part of Rich County as well. I do. I have all of Rich County. All of Rich County. So, Cash and Rich County. Um, so District 25. Senator Hilliard, thank you so much. Glad to be with you this morning. Now, of course, uh, leading the headlines is repeal of tax reform. And I notice you're, uh, the, it looks like you're the Senate sponsor for the repeal uh, that's, bill. That's correct. I look back in my life, and the last eight months have been spent on tax reform. As you probably have read, we've gone all over the state. We've had a lot of meetings here. We've had a lot of time on the issue. We passed the tax reform in a special session because we wanted it in place as we get, went into this session because we really have an issue in the state of Utah of lack of general fund of sales tax. And our revenue projections, to just give you some idea, we're going to have $440 million ongoing of education money or income tax and only $42 million of general fund. And that funds all the things other than education. So clean air, the governor recommended, uh, uh, courts, corrections, uh, family services, the DCFS, uh, Medicaid expansion, all those things are funded by sales tax revenue. And $42 million, to give you some idea, wouldn't be enough to give all of our state employees a 2% salary increase plus benefits. So it leaves us pretty short-handed. There's some things we can manipulate around, but we're really coming to an end. We can not do that anymore. Not that I begrudge. I chair for public ed, so I'm more than happy to spend that much money in public ed. But it really is unfair to spend that kind of money there and then not have any money in, in the other area. So that's the challenge we're going to have this session. So the, the income tax is earmarked for public ed? Is that the... Yes, we're the only state in the union that... that dedicates all income tax to all education. So it goes for higher and public education there as well. Uh, we had such a fervor raised about what we did, and I, I'm a little frustrated in the fact that I heard a lot of the reports, and they really were misleading as to what exactly we're doing. I understand the moral issue on taxing food. We do tax food. It's not that we put it on and never done it before. We did increase it slightly because basically, as you look at it, the more well-to-do people get a bigger benefit out of the food tax because they spend more on unprepared food, and it's a percentage. But having said that, our decision after the fervor that was caused, we didn't want to spend this session or all summer debating uh, tax reform. So we, the bill actually will put everything on hold. We, uh, we have no intentions of doing any tax reform this session. Uh, I appreciated the support that Governor Herbert gave us as we were doing this but a little bit disappointed that none of the governor candidates came forward to me personally or to Representative Gibson or came to any of our hearings and made any proposal of how to solve the problem. It's easy to criticize when you make suggestions. It's really hard to suggest how do you solve the problem. So I think what we're basically going to do is go to the governor candidates and say, you're going to be in boss. One of you are going to be boss next January. This is a very difficult problem you're going to have to resolve. So we want to know what how you propose to solve it. And if the answer is, well, we'll talk about it further, uh, I think the time of talking is nearing an end. Mm. So we need to do something, I think, to, to save what I think most people out there listening would say are very important issues uh, that we need to address. Uh, I just heard the one on, on housing. That's all general fund money. If the state comes up with any money, that's all general fund, and we don't have a lot of that. So you said the time for talking nearing the end. How dire is this? Can, can it, can, can, in your view, can this be kicked to 2021? Well, I, I, I think we can kick it this session because there's about $300 million of now general fund money going into higher education, and we can pull some of that out to help bail it off and fill it back in with income tax. So there won't be a, a cut as such, but just changing the funding. 
But I think one of the issues we'll talk about this session is whether we should continue to dedicate all income tax money to, to public ed. But that's not a decision of the legislature. It would have to go to the voters. The voters, so they would decide next November as right. to what to do. And right. If they want to keep it this way, we will have to learn to live around it. Yeah. So. Uh, it seems to be the, the the majority of the heartburn was the was the increase in sales tax on food. Do you regret no, well, putting that in now? It, no. Now, let me tell you, the interesting thing is, is when you sit down and talk to people about it, uh, I say, first of all, if you're on food stamps or on WIC, you don't pay sales tax on food anyway. So the poorest of the poor end up getting that exemption, regardless of what we do. We haven't changed that. They don't pay any sales tax on food. Everybody else pays about 4% sales tax. 7% is the general rate, but 4% on unprepared food. So I want people, oh, I didn't realize that. And then you say, well, we've got this food crack tax credit. We also gave $500,000 to workforce services to identify some of the people who may not file tax returns, may not be aware of it. It's really amazing. I'm told by these advocates that about 20% of the people who qualify for food stamps in Utah don't take it. Well, some because they don't know about it, some because they can't don't, don't, can't figure out how to do it, some hate government, don't want to take any government handout. So we were hoping with this $500,000 to increase the number of people who, who qualify who now find out and could save sales tax totally on food. But So uh, having said whether I take it out or not, I'm getting a lot of emails uh, from people who didn't like any of the tax increases. Had we just cut taxes across the board, Many of the people I got emails from were very pleased with that. Mm. Even though I explained that makes it difficult to fund some of the important things in government if we just simply cut taxes. But So uh, that's one of the hard things about a referendum or initiative. There really is no legislative intent. You don't know why people voted for it, and you usually get a spread across the board for different reasons why people did. Yeah. Are you surprised they raised this, those signatures as fast as they did? I am. I'm impressed. That was... Uh, uh, good job. It taught me a lesson I had forgotten because I'm not really a great social media person, but apparently on social media you can get out word fast, quick, and it doesn't matter how accurate it is. Mm. You can get it out and get people fired up. You feel out the inaccuracies in the campaign? Well, you know, interestingly, Tuesday night, the last night, I was driving home and I was listening to a radio station here in Salt Lake that was taking call-ins. I just heard three calls. One call said, did you know they're going to tax used cars now? That was never part of our bill, never talked about it. It was part of House Bill 441, but we jettisoned that down in a hurry. So that was not part of the bill. Someone else called, well, they snuck it through in the night. Nobody knows what they're going on. Quite frankly, I've been here a while, and I've been through a lot of processes. I don't know of any that we've done as thorough as we did this one. We had eight town hall meetings that were two hours actually in meetings. We came an hour early, had an open house reception where we visited with people and talked informally. We had probably eight to 10 meetings here at the state capitol where we took information and debate. Uh, our staff said we took more. And people said, wait till the general session. Let me tell you, had we waited, uh, we would not have had anywhere near that time during the general session because these 45 days go very quickly. The third person called, and this was really a strange one, they were claiming that our bill would do away with homeschool and private education. We never dealt with education in this bill at all because we, we knew that was a separate issue. Whatever we decided couldn't be done until November election. So we just put that on hold and intending to do the education portion this general session. But like I say, I think everything will be put on hold now until 
uh, we get whoever the governor is, see what their great ideas are to solve this problem. So I just want to follow up with that. You, uh, you, you feel like the sentiment is in the legislature to be totally put on hold. There won't be any piecemeal legislation or on parsing some of these issues out? One of the difficult things, there's 104 of us, and I can't speak for everybody, mm -hmm. but I know for myself and I think Representative Gibson, we have no intentions of doing anything in this session. I think we can get by by taking some of the money out of IRED. Uh, there may be some other areas that we can find. See, <clears throat> the interesting thing is that while all of income tax goes to public, public and higher education, it's not all their funding. It never has been. Every year since 1947, we put additional money into education to fund it because the income tax is not enough to fund it. It isn't even now. Uh, people look at your property tax. Two-thirds of your property tax goes to public education. That's not required by the Constitution. And so I, whether it be any more, there's certainly now an intent of mine of doing anything more. I think uh, we'll let the thing simmer during the summer and see what leadership we get from a new governor. Mm. Um, and, and again, your, your, I guess your wish would be, probably other legislators, to pin the gubernatorial candidates down. Um, do you think you'll have success with that? I certainly will. Every time I get a chance to talk to them and, and let them, first of all, some, I guess, don't even acknowledge we have a problem. So uh, I, I think Governor Herbert will tell them very click, quickly because he's been doing budgets very thoroughly for his time up here. He'll tell you there's a problem. Mm. Uh, so, what are uh, some other issues you're? Well, let me tell you, I, I co-chair the Public Ed Appropriations Committee, and that's a full-time job in and of itself. And that's where I'm going to be concentrating, especially the first two and a half weeks. We will be hearing testimony, and then at the end of two and a half weeks, we as a committee will prioritize and make a recommendation to what's called the Executive Appropriations Committee of how to spend the money. What I've done the last three years, and it's been very successful, I think we've really increased substantially public ed, not only in the funding, but in how we've given the direction. So what I really will do is take the new revenue, $440 million of income tax money. I'll add to it the $42 million of general fund. That gives us just under $500 million, and my goal will be to get 60% of that for public ed. So it doesn't matter to me where the source of the money comes from. I just feel like that's a growing and, and pressing area. So. We will have recommendations at the end of our committee on how to spend $300 million. Now, I call the big rocks in that will be what should be the WPU. And we as a committee won't decide that because w we'll recommend it as high as we can recommend it because that drives a lot of other things in the budget. For example, if we do a, let me just take a figure of 4% WPU, then the public employees will want something similar for a salary increase as well. So it drives a lot of different things in the budget. but. A couple of things that I'm doing right now that may be of interest to, to your audience. Uh, I helped create a number of years ago a thing called Optional Extended Day Kindergarten. Our goal was that we have some kids coming to school now and starting kindergarten who are way behind. And so we want to concentrate on those kids. We have half-day kindergarten in Utah. And so we want to concentrate that those kids would be given an extra hour or two each day to get caught up. Our goal is obviously that every child at third grade is at third grade level. So about 10 years ago, we created a special fund to help these kids of optional extended day kindergarten. The mistake we made is we did not have an escalation cause in it. So as costs have gone up and the number of students have gone up, we still have the same amount of money. 
So this year we're seeking an appropriation of $18 million that will be targeted at those kids to help those in kindergarten. And I think as chairman of the committee, I certainly will be advocating it and hoping to fund it. Second thing, there was an audit of a program called STEM, which is state, uh, science, technology, uh, engineering and math. I engineering think, right? and yeah, math, right. right. And they, we've had a program that's been working very well, but it was a state audit and said we're not supervising it closely enough. We need to have better targets to make sure the money's being spent correctly. So that's an amendment I'm doing for them. One for Rich County, our smaller school districts just don't have the administrative staff to run, uh, run their schools. And so we've got four what we call regional service centers. There's one in Heber City, and that handles Rich County and Daggett and Unana. And I'm doing a bill to help them so that they get tied into the funding so they have automatic increases each year with inflation, which will help them and give them better direction. Because, uh, again, if you're in Rich County, you just don't have the number of students and administrators to really do all the programs. And we hope to help them out. And I've got the commitment of the State Board of Education. They'll support the bill. So those are some of the education issues. But more importantly will be just the overall attitude and funding of education. Uh, we created something last year that I'm monitoring very closely. It's called TSSA, Teacher Success, Student Success Account. And that's giving the money to local school buildings so that a community council at each school building can say, this is how we want the money spent to help our school. It's much like what we call CITLA, the trust land money they've been getting, but it has two big advantages. Number one, CITLA is, is one-time money, so they've been spending it for one-time projects. This will be ongoing, so they can look at ongoing projects. I've talked to some principals in Cass County, and they say they're use, using it at their school to enhance the counseling situation. We've done some hard work, and I think doing continue to work to prevent suicide of our high school and grade school children. And so that was the choice of these superintendents, these schools, that to concentrate on that. I think I've talked to some Logan uh, administrators. Some of their schools is using it to enhance the teacher training, the in-service work they're doing for teachers. That's great. That's exactly what we want to mm -hmm. do. That CITLA money started out at $20 million. Last year it was 83. We gave $100 million, and our hopes are to increase that. So, again, we have more money with families deciding on a local level of how best to spend the money for their school. Sounds like some uh, some great issues. We'll be uh, we'll be tracking those as we go along. Uh, we've been talking with Senator Lyle Hilliard, District 25, Cash and Rich Counties. Thanks so much for coming in. Glad to be here. Anytime I can help KUSU, I'll be glad to do it. Thank you. We appreciate that. Uh, after a break, we'll come back with uh, Senate leaders, uh, the Majority Leader Evan Vickers and Minority Leader Karen Maine. Um, thanks for listening to this live broadcast from the State Capitol on the opening day of the legislative session. Year of the Woman programming is made possible by our members and Cache Valley Chamber of Commerce, offering educational information and answering questions about starting and owning a business in Cache Valley. Information at cashchamber.com. And Utah legislative coverage is brought to you by our members and Planned Parenthood Association of Utah, offering health care at eight clinics across the state, as well as education for Utahns of all ages. Information at ppau.org. White House lawyers began their opening arguments with an overview of their defense. They're asking you to remove President Trump from the ballot in an election that's occurring in approximately nine months. The case against removing the president from office is underway. Join us for live special coverage of the sixth day of the Senate impeachment trial from NPR News. Starting this morning at 11 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. 
What does Utah Public Radio mean to you? You can answer that question by entering the annual UPR Art Mug Contest. We want to see your most creative interpretations and appreciations of UPR, our programming, or our station's home here in Utah. From now until Valentine's Day, we'll be accepting submissions, and then you'll all get to vote on your favorite design. The winner will be printed on this year's Spring Pledge Drive Mug. For more details, go to upr.org, and to submit, just send your designs to me, katie.swain at usu.edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. On opening day of the 2020 Utah Legislature, we're at the state capitol in Salt Lake City. And uh, we're now turning to uh, leaders in the Senate. We bring in uh, Evan Vickers, who's the Senate Majority uh, Leader. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us. Uh, live in Cedar City, right? That's correct. Represent several counties in that yeah, area. Beaver, Iron, and part of Washington. All right. And uh, Senator Karen Mayne is the Minority Leader in the Senate. And uh, I think you live in West Valley City, represent Salt Lake City? No, need, no? I'm West, West Valley, Kearns, and Taylorsville. Okay, excellent. Close, but not there. Close, but not quite. <laughs> <That's right>. Okay, <laughs> very good. Um, let me start with uh, Senator Vickers. Um, the hot topic for us is uh, tax reform and the, the repeal. What are, your, what are your top of mind thoughts on that? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's really been an interesting thing, you know, and, I, and as we watched and listened to the people as they, they came out, you know, and, and the unfortunate thing about that, that whole process was that not everyone that was signing the referendum understood exactly what the bill was going to do, but that's kind of part of the process, and, but that's okay. Uh, we'll, you know, you've, there's been the announcements from the speaker and from the president and the governor that uh, that repeal will take place. Uh, I think that actually is going to take place today, and we, if we do some, we're able to do that. If not, it'll be tomorrow. And then we'll move move on. Now it doesn't mean that we still don't. We still have a problem, and there was a lot of really good things in the bill. And just there are some unfortunate things that people that were there are some things that were going to be going out as far as dependent tax credits and those kind of things that won't be able to take place now. But it doesn't mean we can't fix that in the future. Uh, we still have a, you know an issue, but we'll fix, we'll work on that, and that's fine. Um, sometimes you know you step back. My my mom used to always tell me, learn from your mistakes and then move on, and I think that's what we'll do. And uh, take a different approach and, and look at that, but that will be out of the way quickly. And then we've got a lot of other things we need to work on. We'll get to those a little bit later in this segment, uh, Senator Maine. What's your your view of the reform tax reform appeal? Well, I sat on the tax uh, uh, tax the tax uh, uh, reform task force, and so I traveled all through the state. And the conversation was the same. They don't like tax on food, and you know I told you so, and I could say we told you so. People don't like that, and I think that was a calling card for them. Um, it's, uh, I went back in time, uh, it's about 06 or some time around there when they uh, changed the tax uh, formula then, and it took two and a half years of meetings, and I think we need to journey there again. Uh, as we've, the people have spoken, they've had three referendums in a row, and this one was, they were all successful, but this one was a call. They don't like tax on food. They don't like the way that it was done. And I think, um, I think the citizens spoke, and I'm so proud of them. You know, we need to be called to tax. If something's wrong, then you, they need to tell us. And so um, I, I think it was a great uh, 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 journey in, in civil uh, um, activism, and I, I applaud them for that. And, you know, we're going to look at that again. There was good things in there. Yes, there was good things in it. But I think that uh, the voice of the people said we need to relook at that. We don't like it. 
it's got to be a different way. Mm. If I can just follow up real yeah. quickly, hats off to the people that did, you know did the referendum. Hey, they, they did tremendous you know work in that, and and I've told a lot of people over the weekend, look. The world's not going to end. It wasn't going to end then, and it's not going to end now, and we'll move forward. We'll keep making good decisions, and uh, we'll find a solution. So Senator Vickers, uh, I'll address this to, to both of you. Uh, Senator Hilliard was just in. He, In his view, uh, there's some urgency here with regard to the general fund, and he said, well, probably kick this down to 2021, but he's thinking maybe not much beyond that. What, what's your view? There are, some, there are some issues with the general fund balance. Uh, you know, it's not a money problem, it's kind of a distribution problem, and there are some things, critical things that we need to fix. Uh, we can get by for a year or so, and there are some, maybe some things we can do short term, uh, but in the long term, we do need to go back and correct it. And, you know, and Senator Maine is accurate. You know, we need to go back and maybe review how the process should, uh, should work, but we, you know, and we can work together and find a solution, and we will. But it does need to be uh, need to happen. Probably not this session. Maybe some minor things this session. Maybe some minor parts of that bill we can implement this session. But uh, the major things have to be done probably in the next next year. Anyway, mm. Senator Maine, you you mentioned that the, you thought there were some good parts of this bill. Perhaps uh, maybe you could enumerate those. Or do you support parts of this? Oh, oh yes, and um, the um, and I've always been an advocate of this to get uh, the tax off Social Security. I have a bill this session to raise, they have a, uh, a floor for that, and I want to eliminate that. So I'm going to have legislation to that. It's only the right thing to do, and that was in this piece of legislation. There were other things that were uh, appropriate and things we need to look at. Uh, services, when we, have, we go from 70 services, we're looking at taxes, down to pet borders, I think we need to look at that. Those, if we're going to tax services let's tax the ones that are stable and we'll get some revenue from that we can't go down to like like i said again pet borders what are we going to get from that hmm. Thirty thousand a year we need to be realistic and not let outside forces come in and to guide those uh, decisions of, of, of taxing services i think we need that's where we need to go I want to, um, I'll give you the chance at the end here to just enumerate the you know, priorities at the top of your mind, but I wanted to get this in. We, we put this out to our listeners. Uh, you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. What do you think should be the top priorities? And Gene and Logan says the number one priority of the legislature must be to pass legislation to implement the Utah roadmap to address air pollution and climate disaster. And she links to uh, Gardner Policy Institute. I'll start to Senator Vickers. What's... What's your, your view? That the governor, you know, I think, has suggested yeah. appropriating some money here. You know, and I'm in an interesting position because um, I'm in rural Utah. And, and, you know, as you look at air pollution and climate control, it, it's not imminent in those areas, in my area. And so it's not in a top priority of my constituents. But the fact of the matter is it is for the state. And I realized the Gardner Institute report just recently came out. And we're, we're just in re process of reviewing that. And looking at it, and I know the governor has uh, recommended a lot of money be spent on that, and I know that there's a number of the, my colleagues from the Wasatch Front that are too. So it's something we'll, we're definitely going to have to address and look at. We've made some big strides in that area. I mean, going from 
tier one to tier two fuels, you know, dropped at 80%. Going to tier three fuels will drop at another 80%, but it's a smaller increment because there's less less room there. But there's some issues. Uh, Long-term transit planning is one of, you know, it's a priority, and we've got to look at that, and that's that can help with that. And, and we'll work with Minority Party and, and all our, our colleagues here on the Wasatch Front to try to find out what's the best policy on that. You just you just can't th throw money willy-nilly at something. You really do have need, need to have a plan. So. Uh, Senator Maine, what's your uh, view of the you know the best way forward at the legislature in I, terms I think of cooperation? And mm -hmm. I was Salt Lake City has come out with a, a program, and I celebrate that. When you drive through Salt Lake City, the dense housing is just immense, and all of those people have cars, and they're all moving around. So they're trying to find a way to uh, help those you know, with transportation issues in Salt Lake City. Those mountains ain't moving. And they are not going anywhere. We have to live with them. Um, and so the, we celebrate, just like my good uh, colleagues spoke to you about the gas uh, companies that have come to the party with three-tier. We need to celebrate that. That's a huge uh, help in, with air pollution. And there's been many pieces of legislation. They're small, but they add up you know, to make sure that our air is healthier. We're working together. This is not a Democrat, independent, Republican issue. This is all of us going together trying to figure that out. I think we work really well with that. Hmm. Just have a couple of minutes left in this uh, segment, so I'll give you a chance, starting with Senator Vickers, uh, what's, what's top of your list? Uh, well, as a caucus, as a, you know, Senate Republican caucus, we talked about a number of things. Just a few of the things that, uh, you know, we need to be addressing and taking care of. Vaping is a big issue and in our schools, and especially with the, our youth uh, redistricting. We need to, there's some, we've had a lot of negotiations about that. We need to finalize that. Higher education governance this year is something that's right, been, there's been a task force looking at that. Uh, looking at uh, supplying inf electric infrastructure throughout the state for cars, electric cars, and up and down the freeway. Workforce development, um, you know, affordable, attainable housing, rural economic development, big thing. And then this long-term transit planning as well, which leads into how do we, it can help control some of the, uh, the, the pollution and those kind of things that Senator Maine is talking about as well. Senator Maine, what's the top priorities for you? In this I, I agree with my colleague. All those things are important. But in our caucus, we're very concerned. We want, need to make sure and put in place that education is protected. If those we're going to repeal the, the tax law, that won't be there. But those earmarks, uh, they're dear to us to protect education and to protect transportation. That's why we put them in place so they wouldn't steal monies from each other. And so we, we really want to make sure those protections, where, whatever they be, is that uh, the education is held harmless and is given the monies they need and transportation all, also. Well, we uh, appreciate both of you coming in. We know it's a busy day here, opening day of the Thanks legislature. Very much. Uh, Senator Evan Vickers, who's the majority leader in the Senate, Senator Karen Maine, a minority leader in the Senate. Thank, Thank you. you to both of you. Thanks. We'll take another break and we'll come back with uh, leaders uh, from the House. Uh, thanks for listening to our special broadcast. We're broadcasting from the state capitol in Salt Lake City on opening day of the 2020 state legislature. Utah legislative coverage is brought to you by our members and Planned Parenthood Association of Utah, offering health care at eight clinics across the state, as well as education for Utahns of all ages. Information at ppau.org. Support also comes from the Chamber Music Society of Logan, is presenting the Minguette Quartet with guest artist Andreas Klein playing Beethoven, Bach, and Schumann. Thursday, January 30th at 7.30 p.m. in the Russell Wanless Performance Hall. Information at cmslogan.org.
Utah Public Radio has partnered with the Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative to bring you Debunked, the podcast that debunks myths about harm reduction and addiction while bringing you the most up-to-date, evidence-based information regarding the opioid crisis. I'm your host, Tim Light. Utah is in a crisis. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, over the last 20 years, Utah has experienced a 223% increase in overdoses due to opioids. During 2017, the death toll rose to 456 people. That's more than one person per day. It's also more than all other deaths by accidents combined, even more than car accidents. It's time to further and expand the conversation about harm reduction and the opioid crisis here in Utah. Join me for the first episode that will be released on Wednesday, February 12th, 2020. You can find Debunked at upr.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for being with us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and on opening day of the 2020 Utah Legislative Session, uh, we are in the state capitol in Salt Lake City. We uh, talked previously with uh, Senate leaders uh, opening the program, Senator Lyle Hilliard uh, from Cash and Rich Counties. Now we turn to the House, and we bring in uh, Representative Brad King, who's the House Minority Leader. Brian King. Oh, Brian, sorry. Well, Brad was the Minority Leader <laughs> years ago, and he's actually a third cousin of mine. But... <laughs> Is he really? Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. That's okay. That <laughs> I knew you were lot. Brian. I, I wrote down Brad. To be compared yeah. to Brad King is a compliment. There we, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to persist in calling you Brad. So, uh, Brian King, yeah. um, House Minority Leader, thanks so much for, for coming in. Thank you, Tom. Uh, so, the, the top of mind for a lot of people, of course, and I want to ask you about this is repeal of tax reform. What's your, what, what was your view of the, of the bill and uh, what do you feel about the repeal? Well, we, uh, as you know, we uh, went through this long process in last year after the 2019 session to consider uh, what we should do on tax reform. We made a run at it during the 19, uh, 2019 session. I didn't really think that that was a good bill and I didn't think the process was very good. One of the things we asked for from uh, our Republican leadership on the other side of the aisle was, let's hear what Utahns think. Let's hear what Utahns have to say and have more time to really consider something as important and complex as this. And they did, and we did. Uh, the House Democrats got together with uh, people along the Wasatch Front and the Wasatch Back. We had seven town hall meetings in various counties. Didn't make it up to Cache County, unfortunately, but uh, we tried to listen. We tried to make sure that we had a sense of what people wanted. And I think the Republicans did that too, in all fairness to them. And I appreciated that. I think the Speaker and the President did a nice job with that. We came together in the special session in December. We were not really happy as Democrats with what was being proposed. All the Democrats voted against it. We didn't like increasing the sales tax on food. We didn't like increasing the fuel tax. We didn't like uh, the way in which we were approaching some of the modest incremental increases in services, taxes, sales tax on services. We were concerned about the income tax cut that put you know, more than half a billion dollars, took more than half a billion dollars out of the uh, education fund. So we're gratified, I think. I can't speak for every uh, Democrat, but I think having voted against the bill in the special session in December, it's much more likely than not that the Democrats are going to vote in favor of a repeal of that bill this week. Uh, I think that that's a positive step. I am so glad Utahns stepped up and really responded in a robust way in terms of this referendum. That they came together, of course they had some community support, we had Harmons, we had the PTA supporting that effort, but it was remarkable to me to see 
how many people really let us as legislators know how they felt about that. And I think it uh, is an encouraging thing in the sense that it shows that when people get riled up about something that affects them in their daily lives, they do have a way of making their voices known. And I think it's a commendable thing that the leadership of the legislature responded by saying, okay, we're going to repeal it then. Mm. What do you think the, you know, obviously sales tax on food proved to be, increasing sales tax on food proved to be quite unpopular. Some have speculated that there was some residual resentment from the way the legislature treated previous initiatives. Yeah. Do you think I, that was part I of this? I do think that's true. I think that there is a perspective, or a perception rather, that uh, the legislature's legislators are not listening to the people of the state of Utah. And quite honestly, I think there's a lot to that perspective, perception, that it's real, that we have a tendency to think we know better. And by we, I mean, I mean, I think Democrats actually are working hard to stay in touch with people's feelings about these things. And it's reflected in the fact that Democrats supported Proposition 2 on medical cannabis, supported Proposition 3 on uh, Medicaid expansion, supported Proposition 4 on better boundaries, the anti-gerrymandering initiative. And we uh, oppose the latest tax reform. So I do think Democrats are listening uh, more uh, with greater sensitivity and effectiveness to what our constituents want. And I think that we need to, you know, people are going to continue to get voted in and do what they want until and unless the voters of the state of Utah make clear their voices that they want to move in a different direction. Mm. So people need to turn out of the polls, and if they don't like what their incumbent is doing, they need to vote the incumbent out and vote someone new in. Mm. Redistricting is coming up, of course, uh, 2020 a census year. Um, I, I don't even know where we've ended up in terms of, I think there was a, a commission proposed. Yeah. So Better Boundaries was an, on the ballot in, uh, in 2018. It was uh, Proposition 4, and it passed uh, narrowly. But it basically sets up an independent commission to make a recommendation to the legislature. The independent commission will be made up of people from both parties. They'll be made up of designated individuals from both parties and from the governor's office. There's a, a lot to recommend this independent uh, redistricting commission. I'm very much in favor of it. Um, and I, we haven't seen the legislature at this point take action to change it or repeal it or gut it in any way. But I'm concerned that that could happen either this session or it could happen as late as the 2021 session. And the attraction to waiting until 2021 is if we repeal, if the legislature repeals the Better Boundaries proposition, the anti-gerrymandering proposition in 2021, they're more than 18 months away from the next election. People will have forgotten. There'll be less political blowback. So our hope is, I think, that we can come up with something, we may very well see something in the 2020 session that represents uh, an effort to address the concerns. And there are some concerns that are being presented by Republicans on this, some tweaks that I think need to be made to the proposition that uh, Democrats would be willing to entertain. But we want whatever comes we come up with in this session, if we do come up with something dealing with that proposition for, to uh, stand. We don't want it repealed or or uh, pulled back in the 2021 session. I want to get your take on a, a blast from the past, which may be a part of our present. That's the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah. Virginia just voted to, to ratify, yeah. um, you know, putting the, the states over the top. But it's been so many years, it's probably going to go to the courts. I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, 
but do you think Utah should take this up? Well, there is a bill before us. Representative Kwan from our caucus, the House Democrat caucus, is supporting uh, a resolution to pass the ERA. And there's a lot of people that really support that. I think that when you had the ERA initially proposed in the 70s, it was something that people were concerned about what the unintended consequences were or maybe the intended consequences they were opposed to. And I think over time, the decades that have passed show us that we can make great progress in women's rights and in a way that accommodates the legitimate concerns of men and women and both conservatives and liberals to uh, not do something radical and not that, something that's not in the best interest of either women or men or the country as a whole. So I think that the same arguments are being to some extent advanced against the ERA now and I look at them and say we really haven't seen problems in the way that people have contemplated. And so I'd love to see a vote uh, on the ERA and I'd love to see a positive vote for Utah. I think if nothing else it's an important symbolic vote. People don't understand a lot of times that the language of the Utah State Constitution that was passed in 1896 has language in it that is as strong or stronger than the ERA in terms of equal rights for men and women. And partly this arose out of Congress's insistence in the light of the Utah's recent history of polygamy that women not be treated second-class citizens. That language in the Utah State Constitution could easily be enforced and should be enforced in some ways to address legitimate concerns about disparity in gender pay gap and, and things like that. I'd like to see that happen more regardless of whether we pass the ERA. There are some tools, in other words, that we can put in place and present and push more aggressively, I think, in Utah based on our state constitution language that could accomplish a lot of the things that the ERA is seeking to accomplish. Just a few minutes left here in this segment, and I know you need to get to the session. Um, so and we're talking with uh, Representative Brian King, House Minority uh, Leader. Um, what's, what's top of the priority list for your caucus? Well, we've got a lot of things. Uh, we are looking out for clean air issues. I think that folks up in Cache Valley, like us, like the rest of us along the Wasatch Front, are concerned about the natural tendency that we have in our uh, mountain valleys, in our ba Great Basin valleys, uh, during certain atmospheric conditions to gather bad air. And uh, we're very happy about the Tier 3 gasoline initiative that has gone into place, and you now see Chevron and some other refineries providing Tier 3 gasoline along the Wasatch Front, I think we need to continue to make steps to ensure that we have uh, adequate resources to clean up our air. One of the things that I was really uh, encouraged to see is the governor recommending $100 million in new money for uh, initiatives to clean up our air. And one of the things that we can do is make sure that we use uh, that money to get out of commission a lot of the uh, trucks and buses that are old diesel uh, engines that are really dirty engines. Now we used a lot of money from the Volkswagen settlement to do that so we're in the process of getting rid of a lot of our old diesel buses that are in school districts across the state. We can accelerate that process with more money. We can also uh, accelerate the process of uh, getting rid of uh, uh, wood-burning homes. There aren't that many homes along the Wasatch Front that rely exclusively on wood-burning, but there are still a few, and there are some things that we can do to make sure that we put some credits and incentives in places so that people can afford to replace those wood-burning stoves and homes with more uh, clean ways of uh, burning energy. So what, you, what we're looking for is continuing to find the biggest sources of air pollution and put in place a method that's effective of reducing that air pollution. 
we got that. We've got public education is very critically important. Uh, we all know that Utah struggles to fund education in the way that it should, given the size of our, our uh, families and the size of our classes. Um, we believe that investing in the future in terms of our kids' education is just critically important. So those are a couple of the things that we'll be working on, and there are a lot of other things, too. And we'll be we'll be tracking that, of course. Uh, uh, so uh, thank you uh, so much for uh, for giving us some time. Thank Just you, Tom. Right ahead of the session here, uh, Representative Brian King, House Minority Leader, has has joined us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, let's uh, turn next to um, a representative from the Utah Taxpayers Association. They were one of the main uh, proponents of uh, tax reform. Interesting to get the take from uh, Rusty Cannon, Vice President, Utah Taxpayers Association, who I talked with late last week. This is uh, Rusty Cannon 1. Am I right in assuming that at least uh, at or near the top of your agenda will be the, the tax reform, and the potential appeal, I guess, trying to head that off? Is that a good well, assumption? So well, it's going to be repealed from all the announcements that were made, uh, you know, the week following the referendum signatures being turned in. Uh, it will be repealed from all, in, you know, from everything that we can see. And so we'd, we'd sort of reset the conversation to where things were before the bill was passed or before you know, the conversation started roughly a year ago. We've been involved in that conversation all along. And so we'll be very involved in it going forward. Uh, the question is, is what, what are the next steps? What are the next steps you would like to see? What's what uh, what parts of it you'd like to see uh, uh, go forward? So a number of issues were addressed in the bill that are still outstanding in the sense that, um, well, the number one issue is the dependent exemption, which was going to be restored under the tax reform bill, now remains where it is now, where families in Utah or those with dependents saw a tax hike on their state taxes after federal tax reform in 2017. That's going to stay in place unless something is done. And so that was one part of the bill that was, you know, was real good. And uh, we supported the bill and uh, for, for that reason, not that reason alone, but that was one there. The other uh, reason as well is uh, Social Security taxes, or excuse me, income tax on Social Security benefits. The tax reform bill had a uh, cut in there to where senior citizens would probably eliminate almost all of their income tax due on a state level on their Social Security benefits. That's not happening now. So that would need to be addressed to where seniors will continue to have to pay income tax on a state level on their Social Security benefits. Uh, so that would still need to be addressed. And then our income tax rate is, is simply still too high, and we need to reduce that. That was a, a big part of the bill. So those individually can be addressed. They were taken as a group in the overall tax bill, uh, but those are you know first and foremost, first and foremost on our mind for sure. Uh, the uh, the tax on food um, that seemed to get the most press. Uh, I don't know if that was the biggest driver for the repeal effort. Um, if were that removed, do you think the bill could could just be reinstated? That, that, that's a great question, and that would be one question. I guess there's a you know a ton of possibilities, but one possibility could be you pull that part out of the bill and advance the bill as it otherwise was. Um, that's one possibility. You could take the issues individually. I mean, there, there's a myriad of different things to do, but clearly the sales tax, the restoration of sales tax on food was an issue for everybody uh, and, and wanted to see that. I, I, everybody will still pay sales tax on food as they are now, which is at 3%. You pay 1.75 on the state level and then 1.25 on a local level. So you pay roughly 3% right now on unprepared food. The bill would have raised that state rate up the 3%, um, 
you know, raising it up three percentage points. But so they'll still continue to pay that three percent now. Uh, but that was clearly, in our mind, the issue for uh, those that had frustrations over the bill. Uh, you mentioned a couple of points there. Anything else that uh, you're especially, I guess, looking forward to with the passage of this and uh, now would like to see move forward uh, even after repeal? Yeah, so one part of the bill that uh, we were quite excited about, that was a large net tax cut to taxpayers to the tune of about $160 million to $200 million, depending on how, how you're, you're measuring it. Uh, that won't be the case with the repeal. Um, the state will be sitting on a f- roughly $480 million ongoing revenue surplus. Most of that is in the income tax bucket. We would hope that legislators would move towards returning a portion of that money to taxpayers, uh, because that's the right thing to do. Reducing the income tax rates or restoring this dependent exemption or Social Security tax elimination, those kinds of things uh, we would favor. We think that's the right thing to do. Um, uh, a worry would be that uh, policymakers decide to just spend that money, and we would hope that they don't and would continue to fight for lower taxes for everybody and not just increased government spending off of a surplus. What's your strategy uh, going to be? Uh, um, look at these uh, each each of these pieces individually with a separate bill. Try to go for a big bill. Yes, that would be the strategy. Um, we don't know how big of an appetite legislators will have for addressing taxes right now, given the uh, you know the the turmoil that's ensued over it, um, and you know with an election year coming, we don't, we don't know what the appetite will be. But we will continue to do our job in advocating for lower taxes for everybody. And, um, you know, in, in number one priority, we could just inter- uh, reduce the income tax rate. That should be done and needs to be done. Uh, returning this large surplus to taxpayers is, is a number one priority for us. Access you, Tom. Tom Williams, we're at the uh, state capitol. In the background, you what you're hearing, I think, is elementary school kids. Um, and the, they're all manners of people here at the, the state capitol. Opening day of the 2020 legislature, we're live from the state capitol in Salt Lake City. Let's finish the program here with a bit of my conversation with Courtney Bullard. Uh, she is Education and Collaborations Director with Utah Health Policy Project. What have you uh, give your reaction to Medicaid expansion? Yes. So this has been a long time coming. Um, We've been working towards Medicaid expansion for many years, and we finally are a full expansion state. So I'm sure you remember Proposition 3 repealed um, last legislative session. So I'm really hoping that this legislative session turns out to be an easier session, quite honestly. Um, But we last year worked the whole year to try to defeat the changes that the legislature was making to full Medicaid expansion, and we essentially won. So we are now a full expansion state. There still are work reporting requirements, which um, will go to the court eventually and be decided um, by a judge on whether those are going to stay in Utah, and we feel that we have court precedent on our side, and so we hope that that is not something that stays too. But right now, if you applied for Medicaid and you were rejected because you didn't meet the income guidelines, apply again and see now if you were in that gap of about 60,000 Utahns who were left out after the legislature repealed Prop 3. So 60,000 uh, people more eligible. Uh, so this is, this is full expansion? No, no fine print? No... 
this is full expansion. So after um, we lobbied a long time for a long time last session to include a fallback plan so that if the legislature's plan was rejected by the feds, we would default to full expansion. And that included a work requirement and their plan was rejected. So they had to apply again for um, full expansion and that was approved. And so um, the only really red tape difference is the work reporting requirement, which actually is a really big piece of red tape. And we've seen in other states that it, it can cause large amounts of disenrollment. Um, and those were implemented as well on January 1st. So if you are applying to Medicaid expansion, please contact us um, or Take Care Utah at 211 because they can help you through that process and navigate those work requirements so that you will still remain eligible for coverage. Now, who's eligible? A certain level uh, with regard to the poverty level? Yeah. So it's if you're an individual, um, anyone who makes under about $1,400 a month um, is now eligible. So it's up to 138% of the federal poverty level. And our enrollment is pretty low right now. And that was, I think, due to a lot of confusion last year of people just not knowing if they had the program, if it was staying, how long it was going to stay. And I think also that this is a population of people who have never had access to affordable health insurance before. You know, these are people who for years and years and years have just been excluded from this program. And so they just might not know it's there. They might not know that they have access to it. So we're just really encouraging people to spread the word. If you think that you might be eligible, just, you know, contact Take Care Utah 211. We, we provide free assistance in the, in the enrollment process. And so that's really valuable when trying to get onto Medicaid. That is uh, a portion of my conversation with Courtney Bullard. She is Education and Collaborations Director, Utah Health Policy Project. My thanks to uh, those representatives from advocacy groups and my thanks to members of the House, uh, Utah House and Senate uh, for joining us in this special broadcast live from the state capitol in Salt Lake City uh, on the opening day of the 2020 uh, state legislative uh, session. Our thanks to everyone. Uh, special thanks to our engineer, uh, friend Weller for his expert help with this broadcast and uh, thanks for listening today to Access Utah. Are you looking for a way to make your nonprofit organization more visible to our statewide community? Utah Public Radio's community calendar highlights events across the state including music concerts, live theater, classes, workshops, art shows, lectures, festivals, volunteer opportunities and much much more. Just check out upr.org and head to our community calendar page. There you'll find our user-friendly submission link and the submission guidelines. Utah Public Radio would like to thank the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau, the Sportsman, Beezer Lock and Key, and the Herald Journal, and My Mattress for supporting Charlie's in the House on UPR. I would also like to thank you, our listeners, for your support. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor, email debbie.andrew at usu.edu. Remember, you can listen and contribute on our UPR app or at upr.org. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. This is KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and heard online at upr.org.